I want to get into it this morning. I will be teaching this morning, and if you could stand for the reading of the Word of God, be reading in Isaiah chapter 12, and we'll have two texts that we'll read from, Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to read in Galatians chapter 5. Starting in the reading of the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 12, and it says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Verse 5, sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Amen. If you could lay your Bibles down this morning, actually... Apologize, not used to two texts. Galatians chapter 5. Let's not skip over this one. Maybe I need to wake up a little bit this morning. We'll see. If I see any eyelids starting to flitter down, we, this is mobile. This is great. I can go right where you're at and keep my notes with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Amen. Now you can lay your Bibles down. We need God to reach down and touch us this morning. Let's lift our voices, our hearts, our hands unto him, asking us, us to feel his presence. God, we need you, Master. Continue moving in this house this morning. God, we lift. Hallelujah, move in this house, every need, Master. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. The title of my lesson is really simple. You probably have more depth coming out of the Sunday school classes this morning. Um, so we're going to maybe be down in the shallow depths this morning on the adult Bible class. But I have a question for you, and I ask it not lightheartedly, I ask it in all sincerity, and uh, it is the title to my message, but I want you to think about it, because it is a real question that applies to every person here. So if you are curious just who I'm teaching to, who I'm talking to, guess what? It is you. Everyone in the house, I have a question, do you have joy? Do you have joy? Happiness is different than joy. Just being happy-go-lucky is different than joy. You see, being happy can be pretty selfish. What makes you happy? 
but joy is something that we'll find through Scripture, and we'll touch on it briefly, but joy is something that looking at your situation, excuse me, that God gives you that peace, that happiness, that joy about that lifting up above sorrow, a lifting up above your certain circumstance, God reaching down into your life and allowing you to see life differently, not looking at it, well, you know, I can look my family, I can look my wife in the eye and say, you make me happy. But that happiness, just being transparent, it will fade based upon the relationship. Something tense, something that doesn't go just the right way. Happiness has a way of getting diluted. But joy cannot be diluted. You either have it or you don't. Do you have the joy of the Lord this morning? Have you felt it even today? Has it been a long time since you felt the joy of the Lord? Before we get too far down that path, but I want you to think about that question because you can't lie about the joy of the Lord. You can't convince your face to smile enough. Even as I'm teaching this morning, you cannot convince your face enough so that a preacher doesn't see through the optics, the visuals, the observations this morning, who has joy and who doesn't. It becomes very obvious. Let me get into and lay a foundation. As I said, I need a long runway to get places where I'm going. And uh, we'll, good thing Bishop has it set up. We got plenty of time this morning. Amen. So we want to get through the lesson today. There ain't going to be a part two. I'll be preaching next week in Jackson, Tennessee. There won't be a part two. So we're here till we're done. Amen. Amen. So certain elements are made to be consumed or held within specific vessels. Water is consumed and it was within certain parts of your body, the digestive system. You place it inside of the respiratory system and you drown. You can drown not even being in a body of water. You can go into water, water gets in your lungs, and you can drown standing there upon pavement and have water in the wrong places and it will take your life away. Air is likewise the same thing. Air in the wrong part of your body will yield even death. You can drive down the road. I know Kent here is an expert in DOT, but you see the placards and certain vessels are made to hold certain things. There are single wall containers, double wall containers. Some of them have a system that will be engaged if that gets outside of its certified container, and it will start to mediate, or mitigate, I should say, the risk to some situations. And, and they're puncture-proof, and some of them are made to be impact-resistant. But there are certain vessels that when something gets out of its intended container, it's toxic. But if you transport it from point A to point B, it stays safe, therefore everything is okay. As long as as it stays within that container. Now, there are things that God has told us, even in our text we read it today, things that are safe in your heart, things that should be in your heart, things that every Christian should have as a characteristic, as a part of their life, should be in your heart. 
We talked about it in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And none of these have a law, anything written about them saying, don't have them. But our heart can be impacted by the element of sin. God does not approve of these things. And the list is far too long for us to go through today. So it's safe to say, it's easier to live in the Spirit than it is to determine what's wrong and try to get that gray area and push it to its limits to understand whether or not you can do it or not. If it doesn't fall within Galatians chapter 5, don't even entertain it. That's what the Bible's trying to tell us. You see, the world tries to convince you. You have all of these you can't, rules and things that you can't do. You don't understand. You don't understand the value of having the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit, being in your life. Because it's not about things that I can and cannot do. It's what I love to do. It's things that motivate me to a love towards God. I'll try not to get down a rabbit trail, but it's something that's been impressed upon me for a while, and I've been getting, paying attention to myself as I pray, Brother Hall, and it's uh, just being transparent. It's easy to get in that mode of praying and asking God for something and using the wrong words. By saying, give me. God, give me a heart after you. Give me, and you lose, I believe, this is just me, I believe when we start getting down that path, we lose the importance of what we're asking for. And So I've been stopping how I've been praying, and I've caught myself so many times trying to break a habit of praying this way, but I explain why I need it. God, you see there are lost souls all around me. You see they need to be witnessed to. You see there needs to be a love for God in their life. I don't say, God, give me this and give me that. I'm not a spoiled brat. I don't go to my heavenly Father and say, give me joy. You say, God, I can't live without joy. I'm telling you, God, there is a reason why I need joy in my heart. You see the situations around me, and the devil's trying to crush me like the most fragile thing that my heart is without your presence. And God, because of this, I need you to step into my heart, and I need you to place something there that will sustain me. Now, I could have easily said, God, give me joy. But God wants to know why you're asking for it before he'll give it to you. Now, what parent wouldn't do that? If Brother Kaiser was to walk up to me and say, Daddy, give me $100, what would a father normally do? What do you need $100 for? Why would our Heavenly Father, who has infinite resources, treat us any different? If you don't know why you're asking, and you can't prove your case out, why should I give it to you? If he says, well, I want to go buy a pack of gum. Well, son, I think you're asking for a little much there. 
How about I go buy the pack of gum and I'll show you just how much it costs? You see, God does the very same thing. Give me joy. The value that you've placed upon it is just in a few simple requests. Give me peace. God, make my life have meaning. God, make my marriage whole. Give me a better job. All those things are easy to request. But God needs to know why is it that you feel you need to change your current situation. Because God will use that. That, that is where the lesson's at. It's how you can tell God what you need. That is where the lesson's at. And that allows you to step back and say, maybe, just maybe, I don't need all the things I ask for. Because I've heard others say it, and myself included, I am so thankful for unanswered prayers. Because I've prayed some things over the decades of my life living for God that I'm so glad that God did not answer. And I believe we would all be able to say the same thing today. But you can insert things into your life. You can insert hate, bitterness, envy, strife, lying, discord, lust. Everything, you can keep going down that list. And you know what it does? It destroys the vessel. You see, vessels are made for a certain purpose. Vessels are stamped as you as the consumer. I see Brother Toby has a Yeti bottle. You don't put a Yeti bottle in the microwave. It's not made to go into a microwave. You don't place it in the oven. You see, even it'll tell you on the description, you don't even place them in the freezer because they're a double wall container and it will destroy the vessel. You see, there are vessels made all of your drinking glasses will have some form of symbol on the bottom telling you how often you can use it, how you can use it, how to care for it, based upon those symbols. If it's free from all the chemicals that leach out of it, and it describes if you use this container within these parameters, it's an approved vessel. Our lives are the same way. We are approved for what? Worshiping God. That's what we were made for. You see, we can't let sin enter our heart because guess what it does? It destroys your life. The moment you put something caustic inside of a vessel that it's not made for or even place that vessel inside of another thing or use it in a way, I should say, that it's not intended, it will destroy that vessel. Even though it has something so neutral, something so um, not lethal such as water. But you put that vessel in a wrong environment and it will destroy the container and what's in it. For example, Sister Goff was going to heat up a spray bottle, some water, and she put some warm water inside of a plastic spray bottle. You think, well, just warm water, that's great. That bottle just started to shrivel and shrink and, and begin to change its shape and it didn't look anything like it did a few moments ago. Because you're just putting in a simple water, but you put it inside of a vessel that's made for that, and everything's okay. You see, you think that you may be able to do things your way. Sister Goff thought she could just warm up a little bit of water and put it in this dollar store spray bottle, and everything would be okay. But it wasn't. You see, you as the owner of this vessel that God has given you, you think you can do things your way. 
And you think, well, I don't think that will cause a problem. But then God gives a preacher a message, service after service, comes up and says, there's some things that are destroying the vessel. And guess what? We have one shot at this, saints. One shot. None of us are going to pass away and come back and be able to walk upon the face of this earth and have another shot at this. You have one shot. What is important in your life today that is so much so that it doesn't align with Galatians chapter 5? What is it that you're willing to put in and try to mix up and put in the vessel that God has given you and you have one chance at life? Does it mean there's not forgiveness? Does it mean there's not restoration? But when your time on earth is done and they pull you up in a wooden box and place you in front of the congregation right here, you had one chance. And what is going to pour out of your life, what will be said is kind of important because it can be a witness to everybody else, but what will be said on the day of judgment about your life? And I'm only talking about one thing. Do you have joy? Do you have joy? We stand on the great precipice of life. You can stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you're struck with just awesomeness. You can climb a mountain and stand there and overlook the valley and the smaller mountains, and you'll look and see cars and maybe be able to see people if you're up high enough, maybe. And you see things, and it's just in awe and wonder looking at the majesty of what God has done in creation. But yet when we look at our life and we step back and we say, I want to step back, I'm Brother Larson, and step back and look at my life, and you can step back and say, oh, I'm not too happy about this. Look at, I could have done better here, I could have done better here. And you look at our, and we can all insert our name in this very same analogy this morning. Sometimes we get so hung up on what our eyes see from our past. It is our understanding of what has been done. And creation was influenced by God. It is His handiwork. But our lives hold too many memories that hold us back. And they influence so much of our opinion about ourselves that we do not look at the beauty of your own life. You look back and say, look at that scar. Look at what I did there. And, and you think, I wish I never would have. And I, I wish I never would have said that. And look what it cost me. And, but God, in his infinite wisdom, places you somewhere where ashes are turned into things that are beautiful. He places you in the church of the living God. He gives you an opportunity to walk down to an altar, repent of your sins, and be baptized in Jesus' name. And you know those things that are ugly that we're not happy about, God takes those and begins to mold those into things that are beautiful. You have to let go of the pain so that God can give you joy. If all of your life is focused upon all your failures, upon all your faults, you can never be a vessel that will hold joy. Because God wants to take you through some things. 
You'll read about it in New Testament scriptures. Of joy is what you went through. That's how you went through trials. It was so that you would have joy in this time at adversity. That you would have joy in this time when the world is pressing upon what you believe. And God would say, I would that they had joy. That they would make it through this trial with joy. Because joy takes it off of the happiness of the fleshly side and places it in his hands and say, God, you have it. You have everything in control. But it is those things that are hidden deep within the heart that changes the view of our eyes and how you view you and how you think others view you. But here's the thing. Before long, that real nature internally is revealed. You can't hide the ingredients, the elements that you have in your heart forever. It will be shown. You see, spiritual blindness restricts your ability to feel, to think, or even speak how God wants you to. Instead, your behaviors are controlled by what's in your heart. That's the thing, because I can look at this vessel that I brought this morning that I filled up with filtered water. So delicious and refreshing. Just room temperature water. Filtered, doesn't have arsenic in it, doesn't have fluoride in it, just wonderful water. But if I was to put something in this vessel that was not good to drink, it would not give me that same benefit. I would not say I'm thirsty and I want to reach for the blue bottle that I carry every day. Carry it to work, fill it up, wash it, clean it. I would not look at this as something that would sustain me. I would then begin to get this, I don't trust what's in there. I can't even see. And then before long, you're, you, you know, I, I know I put things in here, but Oh, that that doesn't smell right. That's got something wrong with it. And you lay it to the side. You see, how are you perceived in life? How is it the people around you see you in life? Are you a witness? Are you that refreshing when you walk up to them on the job? That spouse that's unsaved, how do they perceive you in life? Is it that living water that God promises us through Scripture? Or is it they don't know what you are today to the next day. Are you refreshing to a world around us that is thirsty? You see, our life, our lives are much like a garden. We, we jump to, talking about Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, about you reap what you sow. You look at that verse of Scripture and it states it as a fact. However, your heart Your heart is not just the soil. Your heart is also the shed of your life. You have the the tools. You have the soil for things to grow, seed that is planted. Your harvest is dictated by what is in your heart. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, I'll reference it just briefly, says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, joy is rejoicing in God, serving Him with cheerfulness and thankfulness. It's understanding that He is the source of your salvation. 
This is our duty as Christians. It's how we serve him and how we serve others. The tools in your heart, as I said a moment ago, determine how you do the duty that God has given to each and every one of us. No doubt you could think about even in your own personal life, going into the shed that you may have at your house, on your property, or going into your garage. You probably have a preference towards some things that are made to turn the soil and made to dig the ground and plant things. You're like, oh, that's the, that's the rake or the shovel I like. But over the years, I've been blessed of being able to help and be a part of a young man growing up. And we worked at the church, lived next to the church, and done everything we could from you know, taking care of the landscaping, mowing the grass. And so had a garage, a shed full of to- tools and had my favorites, and there were certain ones made for certain jobs. But you could also go in there and find the tools that were broken, needed some maintenance, they were chipped, they were bent. The things that if you really had to get down and it end up getting broken, you wouldn't mind because it was already on its way out. You'd find a bent hoe or a rake with missing teeth, a water hose that leaks, but in some jobs you could use it and just get the job done. But our hearts cannot contain those things that are just okay. Because when it's just okay, God calls you and says, I would like for you to go and teach a Bible study. But if the Bible study shovel just isn't maintained and it doesn't quite do the job or it's got a broken handle, guess what? That doesn't excuse you from the task. It means you need to be repaired. Just by looking at your tools in life, I'm not equipped like you, Brother Goff. I can't stand up in front of people and begin to teach a Bible study. I can't get up and sing like this person. And so I just don't have that. And, and some things, there are limitations upon the skills that God has given you. And, and not saying that I have it because, as I've said before, I was the most shy individual growing up. And I wouldn't even want to think about standing up in front of people, Sister Jasmine, and talking to people and making a public statement and, and sharing my thoughts because it would have been a long, uh, uh, maybe, and then just sit down because I couldn't do it. But you see, God has a way of growing us, Brother Hall. He has a way of changing us. And making us to where we can be effective in the kingdom. When we walk into our life and we look back and we say, God, I I could never, I I could never do that. God says, well, here's the thing. I need you to be willing because I got a plan. I got a plan for you and your life. And I need you to be able to step up to the plate. And I need you to do some things. I need to prove you out in some areas. And you have to be willing to be molded by God so that he can use you. Now, there's nothing worse than having broken tools, but the other side of that is tools that are never used, that are brand new, that look no different than the day that you brought them home from Menards, Home Depot, Lowe's, True Value, wherever you got them from. Brand new tools are not effective. You see, you look at somebody and says, oh, I, I do this for a living, and then they show you their, their tools, and they're all brand new and never been used. You begin to doubt their ability. 
they're not using, it, are these a set of tools you keep at home? Do you have another set in your truck maybe? I'm not getting, these look all brand new. They're still in the box. Like the batteries probably haven't even been charged. Are you, are you just starting out or something? Where are you at spiritually? Are the things in your life still in the box? Did God give you something in a prayer meeting and you've laid it there and said, ooh, I prayed about this, look at it. Look at that. And you step back and you admire it. Like you would a shiny new car. You drive it off the lot. You walk into Walmart and you have to turn back and look. Oh, that looks good. And you keep walking. Now when that thing's got rust spots on it and a dent in it because you let a teenager drive it, bald tires, hasn't seen a car wash in months, you don't step back and say, oh, she's pretty. I can't wait to go beep, beep, and come out here and get in that car and start it up and drive away. How does God view you life, your life right now? How do you view your walk with God right now? God has a plan for each and every one of you this morning. Nobody has an exemption because of preference. Nobody. Well, I prefer, Brother Goff. I prefer. No, see, you can read in the Bible and it says that I would that you all have joy. See, that doesn't exclude everybody. Doesn't just say, oh, just if you're a preacher or you do this or maybe God's made it present. You know, I'm sorry. God's made it uh, uh, pronounced it. So, yes, this person, my hand's on them and using them to see. That doesn't exclude you from being used to living without joy and peace and happiness in the Holy Ghost, having those things, those fruit of the Spirit, just because you're used to living this way doesn't give you an exemption from being held accountable to live like God wants you to live. It doesn't give you a pass to where, oh, well, you have a certain situation. That, yeah, you know what? Somebody did that to you, and you really don't have to forgive. You have a really good reason. I had a man ask me just this last week. He said, I had this person do this, told me the story, and it is a horrific story. And he says, do you think that I have to forgive him? Give her, forgive her. And I said, according to Scripture, yes, you do. He goes, I just can't do it. I said, you have to. Forgiveness has to be present in your life. You see, it doesn't matter how deep or dark the secret is. You haven't told anybody. You almost probably would never even dare utter these words to God out loud in prayer. It doesn't give you an exemption. I don't care how disappointed you may be in yourself. I don't care how low you had to go in life. And if they only knew and the shame that comes over you and all the things you've been wrestling with in life, it doesn't give you an exemption. It doesn't. You don't get a hall pass. You don't get to say, ooh, that's pretty bad. You see, forgiveness has to be there. And as we're talking about this morning, joy has to be there. God would that you would have joy. See, you need to let the maintenance of the ministry reach down and touch your heart and stop trying to handle this yourself. You see, it takes a craftsman to fix a tool. It takes a craftsman to reach down and say, it's not too far gone. I can 
restore this. I can make it even better than new. I can take something that was broken and shattered and discarded by life and pick it up and bring value back to it is what God says. I reminded, I was working one day down in our shop and I found an old chisel that was chipped, it was rusty, it was discarded, set in the rain for no telling how long out there on the railroad. We have cabinets that are full of snap-on tools, tool rooms you walk into and it's just tool after tool, specialty items that you can't have any homemade tools, everything's got to be made for the task. And there was a chisel laying there on the ground that was just discarded, everybody walked past it. I'm like, you know what, that would be really fun to go and restore this. So I had a few moments one day, took this old rusty beat up chisel and began to go over to the tools and began to work that. I'm not a craftsman, I was doing elementary work, but all I did was gave it attention. And this thing came to life, Brother Hall, had a nice sharp edge on it, all the rust was off of it, beautifully gleaming just like it was brand new. And then I would go and put it, drop it right in that snap-on cabinet, and it was right at home. You see, your life, many people just want to discard themselves. People did things to me that I'm not proud of. I'm not worth anything. I did things to myself I'm not proud of. I'm not worth anything. You see, God wants to give you something today, get you on the right path. He wants you to start thinking differently. He wants you to start understanding, you know, listen, there's some things missing in my life. I do have some value here in this kingdom. I may be broken and bit. I just need maintenance of the Word of God. I just need to yield myself to the hand of the Word of God, even though it's not comfortable. You see, I would begin to work that metal, and it began to polish all that rust off. And next thing you know, it was like a layer, a whole new tool began to show up before my eyes. And, and I was like getting excited, like, this is great. Look, I can't believe that what everybody else threw away, I was able to go in and restore this. You see, God would love to do that to your life this morning. You may feel discarded. You're not happy. Even on the most fleshly side of life, you are not even happy. You can't even define happiness in your life this morning. It feels like life is just beating you over the head into the ground. But there is hope today. You are in the right place. Because God would love to give you peace, happiness, joy, long-suffering, meekness, and the things that I read through our text, and guess what? None of those have a law saying you can't have them. God would love for you to yield your hand to his hand. And it may be rusted, it may be fragile, it may be broken and cracked, but guess what? You're not discarded. God has you in the perfect place this morning. He would love for you to feel what many of us feel here today. But I want to talk to the saints just for a moment. One of the things that is beautiful is joy, one of the things that comes from joy, I should say, is joy comes from doing. You have to be able to yield yourself to doing to find joy. 
There's a verse of scripture in Nehemiah chapter 8, in verse 10, it says, Then said he unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, that joy that is found in doing, it's that feasting before the Lord on His things. Not on the menu that you created, but on the menu that God has laid out. You're feasting on His Word. You're feasting on the beautiful things of what God has laid out. And you're taking and saying, no, I can't just keep this to myself. I've got to go to the needy is what the Scripture says. And I want to go and share it with others. And I want to give this to other people. I want them to experience what I have in life. I can't hold this to myself. It says, I want to eat the fat. I want to drink the sweet. I want to take those things. That, and the Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good and, and His mercy endureth forever. I can testify this morning that God has been good to me. But if you never give him a chance, if it's always woe is me, if it's always my chin is dragging the ground and you're just walking and just creeping upon the face of the earth and I don't have any joy in my life, God wants to give it to you this morning. He wants to give you meaning and purpose in your life. And then your testimony is say, this is rich. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I've wanted my entire life. And saying of God, you can get back what you laid down and you become happy with today. God wants to give you joy. Do you have joy? Because it's joy. It allows you to get down on your knees and say, God, you see the situation. But God, you've done it for me last time. You're going to do it for me again. You get down and say, God, I've just come to rejoice in you. And before you know it, you've got so wrapped up in worshiping him that there's times that you even forget you have a problem. And you're like, God, before I get up, i got a need that I need to... Because I was so excited about talking how good he is and how merciful he is and how he reached down and picked me up out of life of sin and gave me a reason to walk here on earth and a love for him in my heart. And, and you're like, God, this nearly slipped my mind. I'm, I'm kind of doing this. I know you know my knees, but I'm just going to throw this out there on my way out. God, I need you to take care of this right here and do it your way. Because I've talked for an hour about all the things you've done for me already. That's what joy does. Joy allows you to see a situation, and it's not the one that's going to put you under for the last time. You say, God, you are my strength, my strong tower, and it's in you of whom I trust. Joy allows you to look at the deepest, darkest time of your life, and you sit there and you say, God, I need you to fill me with joy. I need something to cascade over me and say, God, I'm so glad to be a part of the church. God has sent a message your way for one reason and one reason only. He wants to fix you this morning. He wants to take you in his hands, but you've got to yield yourself to him. You've got to yield yourself to God. You have to be willing for him to pick you up. And begin to work you, polish you, straighten things back out. Get it back 
to where you're not just restored to your former self. You're made better. It's not just that renewed look at you, but he made it better. Now, there's a illustration I'll give you in saints. It comes from the doing side. But there is some things that you could grow and get strength in God. But I'll use a simple illustration. I had to do it just recently. That's why it's fresh upon my mind. But if you've ever been forced to change a tire using the tools that the auto manufacturer provided you, you want to know what frustration is in life? Trying to figure out this and pull it out and get everything detached from your vehicle and your environment is not inviting. And you're like, this doesn't even look like it should even work. And you're out there trying to, I'm going to lift a car that's this, this heavy and I'm going to be doing all these things that I don't do on a regular basis. This doesn't feel safe. But you learn, Right? You learn that whenever times you have a blowout on the side of the road, you see, those never happen at the best time. It's never like, well, if I could have a blowout, I'd have it right here. Look at this wide shoulder. I could park double wide, and everybody's slowing down, and traffic gives me a... You don't ever get those opportunities. It's always you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, boom, and you're looking. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Where can I go? You're... You're making split-second decisions to get to a safe location. And then when you get out to change that flat tire, you realize, man, this is a bad spot to be in. This happened a few weeks ago. We were at camp down in Tulsa, just south of Tulsa, on I-40. And it was around, I think it was around 1130 at night. I get a phone call. And my mother and sister Melinda that goes to um, Lighthouse Church there in Tulsa, Pastor Shorts, they were coming back from camp, and they said, we've had a blowout. We're just a mile or two from you. And here it is, 1130 at night, two ladies, they're not here, so elderly ladies, um, my mother being one of them, they're on the side of the road. They don't know what to do. Pitch black on I-40. And so Sister Golf and I, we jump up, grab the truck, we're heading down the road. And I get there, I'm like, well, I've got this, I've got that, I've got that. And I've got a list of things I can tell you. I, I have a bottle jack instead of a scissor jack. I have um, an impact instead of just looking at a four-way or even that thing that they say, put these three pieces together and you should be able to break a lug nut loose. Yeah. Got a safety vest, got a flashlight, got a knee pad, got a breaker bar, got a torque wrench, got all these things. And I have them in the back of Sister Golf's truck because we had the trailer with us. We're traveling Oklahoma down for youth camp. And I pull up, well, first of all, that one or two miles away was like 10 miles away. And all I can remember in my head was at camp they're saying, don't walk through the grass because there's copperheads. We've already killed a couple. And I'm looking, they're parked in the grass on I-40. And truckers, sorry Brother Kent, are flying by at 75 miles an hour. And they called the cop and they had a state trooper come out there and I walk up with all my tools. He's like, oh, good, you've got everything, perfect. And so I'm down there, and I'm trying to get this situated. Well, the thing was, it wasn't in the perfect situation. I'm laying in grass that's like over my head. I'm like, copperheads. That's all I can think about is copperhead snakes. Those are danger noodles, no ropes. I don't want to know anything about them. And I'm laying there, and the knee pad that I'm on, my mom's trying to hold a flashlight, and she's looking over here. And I'm like, flashlight back over here, mom. 
And they're talking to this state trooper like they're trying to win him to God. One of them was single, not my mom. And I'm like, I'm trying to get this tie. It took us an hour and a half. And it, even though all the provision that I had, I still couldn't do it with my tools. All the lessons I learned from previous experience, guess what? The state trooper had to come pull out some things that he had. It took two jacks to get this Honda CRV off the ground because the ground was sunken in. We were off in the grass. The car was falling off the jacks because semis were blowing by and the wind just rocking the car and it falling off and couldn't get the tire off after you got all the lug nuts off and wires are hanging out of the tire and cutting your hands and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I was in bed. I could have said, Mom, the trooper's coming. Yep, all right, I'll see you in the morning. But life gives us these situations. And it took even an extra set. And so it doesn't matter what you think you have in life, you still be in the ministry. It doesn't matter what you think you've learned in life as an individual. It doesn't matter how many gray hairs you've had or how long you've been around church. You still need a man of God to step in and say, I've got an extra tool that will help make this easier. Hey, let's both do this together. And guess what? We're down there in the grass and we're taking care of things. And that's what the shepherd does. He reaches down and says, you know what? You need my help. You've got to let me help you. I had to let that trooper, even though I had this wide array, you know, Brother Golf, being prepared for everything. I had to have somebody help me. You need somebody to help you today. You don't have joy. Let's just talk where you're at. You don't have joy. You can't even fake joy. You can't even fake happiness. You need the Word of God to step into your life and help you today. Every time you try to do something right, something comes by in life and knocks it on the ground. Every time you try to uh, plant something, it seems like the sun gets so hot and it just kills it and life is just quenched out and you're like, I'll never be able to do anything in life. But God, God steps into these situations and God gives you the strength and it's that beautiful grace to do His will. And the next thing you know, God will send a man of God along with a message and He'll say, I know you think you've got it together but you really don't. And he'll go up here next to you and say, hey, let me try this. I do this all the time, every day. Oh, you do? Yeah. The, the Oklahoma State Patrol, they make us carry this stuff with us because we're helping people every day. Well, hey, come on down here. He was equipped better than I was. Even though I'd done this countless times, had one instance, we were coming back two years ago from camp, pulling our trailer, talking on the phone with my mom and dad. All of a sudden, boom, tire blows out. Hit the shoulder, pull over. I think we were back on the road moving within 30 minutes. It was like NASCAR. I was like, grab this, grab this, grab that. And we had this thing, pull the trailer up, semis are blowing by, everything was great. But guess what? We were parked in a perfect spot. You couldn't ask for a better spot. We were going to, we were coming back from Sister Ogle's funeral, got in the vehicle, it was dark out, driving out of Atchison, all of a sudden we're like, why'd the low pressure light come on? And we looked at the tire gauge upon the display, had very low PSI. We just pulled right in to a gas station, and that was right before we were crossing the bridge and going out in all this farmland. No gas station around, no lights, no nothing. It was like one of those perfect opportunities. But life doesn't always serve it up just perfect. Now, I, could, I was in dress clothes, 
We had people walking around behind us, didn't know what they were, really sketchy situation, trains coming by. It wasn't perfect, but I was able to get the job done. You see, life gives you things that you think, well, I can handle this. I, I got this. I've done this before. But mark my words, you're going to get in a situation that you think you can do it, and you can. You can. You see, all of those things that I thought that I needed to carry to get me out of a bind because I learned from that situation, and I learned from that situation, I learned from that one, there's nothing I can't handle. And with all those things I prepared, I got into a situation that I couldn't handle. You see, there's power in being prepared. If I could transition in this way, you can look at a situation like, I've got this, tire blows, tire's flat, you're good. But as I drive down the road, I have those tools in my truck. Guess what happens? You look for situations to help others. You're like, I see them out there wrestling, and I see them reach in their trunk and pull out that wretched scissor jack, and you're like, they're not going to have fun. But there's nothing worse than having all those tools at your disposal, and you're driving the wrong vehicle. You're like, I have nothing that I can give to help them. You see, there are people, most of the time they're young, full of vigor, full of enthusiasm. They get their first four-wheel drive pickup. They have a tow rope and a storm hits. And they're like, I'm going to go out and pull people out of ditches. And they just want to go out and help people because guess what? They have the tools. They have the know-how, the means. But we as saints, we can't drive by people having the tools, having the means, having the training, having everything that God has for us and disregard someone stuck in a ditch. Guess what? We have that responsibility to pull over and say, you need to come to church. Can I give you a Bible study? Can I pray for you? You have those tools. But here's the worst thing ever is having no confidence in your tools and you're not happy about doing your job. Guess what that is? That's not having joy. You don't want to pull something out of the trunk because it doesn't work. You don't want to reach in and plant a garden because the tiller won't start. You don't want to try to plant something because every time you do, it just falls apart. But when you get confidence, when God can reach down into your life and you can say, God, you've done it for me now, you'll do it for me again, and God will give you wisdom and direction, and you can truly help somebody. You have to be willing to do. You see, as Christians, we're looking for ways to help others. In, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I know, I know this is talking about restoration. I'm a benefactor of being, having restoration in my life and people reaching down and being patient and and having prayers being prayed and, and reaching down and help. I know what it's like to be held up in prayer by a church family. God has equipped each and every one of us. And you must want to do it. Now, I know people, nobody here obviously, that when they say, oh, I'm praying for you, you know they're not praying. You don't pray daily, so why would you pray for my need? But then there are people that you know that when they say they're praying, they're praying. You know if they say, I'll be praying for you at 6 a.m. or 3 o'clock or whatever time it is. Prayer 
is made. One of the most empty words that could ever be said is by a saint of God, make a promise to another brother or sister, even to a sinner that can't keep their word because they don't have confidence in the tools in the shed. You know, you feel, God don't even answer my prayer. Why would he answer it for you? If you could just get some confidence about what God will do for you. You see, at one point in time, you were willing to walk out there and grab some things. It's because it was new and fresh and maintained and it didn't have a broken handle. And You knew you could really torque on that shovel to get things dug out of the ground, but then you let it go by the wayside and it wasn't maintained and that rake no longer had the perfect teeth and it didn't feel good in the hand because it was broken and didn't have the comfortable grip and you just need to be restored. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in the kingdom to bring revival to this church. He wants you to go to the shed of life. Open my heart, God, and look through the contents. And I want you to tell me what's right and what's wrong, what you want to fix. God, it's all yours. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to go to that place that's not comfortable. You have to be willing to serve. You have to also, as a saint, be willing to hold confidence. I want to touch on this just briefly. But there's a special place that a saint of God can serve your brother and sister. It's very special. It's when another brother or sister comes to you and says, will you help me pray about a, a situation. The best, best response you can give, this is across the board, in my opinion, that no exception comes to mind, is yes, brother, yes, sister, I'll be praying for you. Here's the worst response. Can you tell me more about your problem? Can you give me more details? You see, you don't need details. You don't, you don't need to know someone to spill the tea and tell you what's going on. You don't need it. Guess what? It's none of your business. Your most important thing in that very moment is when they're looking you in the eye. Guess what it took? That took some courage to go walk up to a brother or sister and say, I can't, I can't do this on my own. Would you be willing to join with me in prayer on this day? Would you be willing join with me in a fast on this day. There is nothing more special between a brother and sister and the family of God than that. Because they're leaning on you. Guess what? They're saying, the shovel I have just, I don't think I can do it. We're going to have to have two on this one. We're going to have to get two or three on this one. But guess what it does? When we get so fixated on the details that only flesh desires to hear. You lose focus. You then begin to pray and try to figure out their problems. And really, it's none of your business. All you do is cause problems and confusion. But I had a man do this for me a little bit ago. Brother Jared Hilton went to him with a prayer request. He didn't ask me one question. He didn't say, I want more details. I needed something to pray about. You see, praying about your brother and sister is 
one of the most important things you could ever do as a church family. What greater responsibility could you have praying for the lost and praying for your brother and sister? You don't need to know all the details. But as I went to Brother Hilton and I told him, I said, I, I need you to help me pray. And out of his willingness, he said, I'll even fast with you. I said, all right, here's the time. We're going to fast from this time to this time. You know, Brother Hilton didn't ask me one question. He didn't say, well, I don't know, can I just do like a media fast? Can I just fast listening to the radio? Is that okay? That didn't happen. It was from the heart, and I felt the strength. I had a conversation the other day with a gentleman, and someone said, what time are you going to be talking to them? I'll be praying. And I'll tell you, there was in my prayer life, it felt like I was just beating my head against the wall. But someone else came in and started praying, and it just broke through. You see, you need each other. We need each other. We need each other here in life. We have to have confidence that God will fix all things. But he needs confidence in you that he can lean on you. He can reach down and grab you and use you in the kingdom. There's a few more things I'd like to get to, and I'm not quite sure where to stop at. But I'll talk to you about the source of joy. In our text in Isaiah we're looking at a passage of Scripture that's in the middle of a song of praise. The passage falls right after there's some discussion around the deliverance from Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, from deliverance from Pharaoh, and the provision of by God in the wilderness, and taking them to the promised land. What has come from this song, they talk about this in the Feast of Tabernacles, this is something that is done in, re in remembrance of their deliverance from the wilderness. I believe they even have them live in different um, buildings to resemble what they did and how they lived traveling around um, and being lost there for those years. And, and then there's the provision by God to take them out. One of the symbolic observances is made on each day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. It's when the priests will then gather uh, golden vessels and go down to the pool of Shiloh and, and gather out water and then carry them up the stairs and take them in to uh, uh, the altar and begin to, what they would do is pour them over the barrel, the, the vessels of water, pour them over that altar and there would be uh, cymbals being played and trumpets being blown and in the midst of this was all of the seven days, I believe, and they'd come in and do this celebration, and what they would say was, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. What we find is this was also celebrated, this Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated. This point over, over 800 years had been something that was a part of their culture and what they had began to celebrate together. There was something that happened years later after this had been in place, and they had done this countless, yea, hundreds of times. There was a time when a man stood up in the middle of this very same ceremony, and he said some words in John chapter 7, verse 37. He says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. 
And he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And verse 38, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they had that believed on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And so what we have is the scriptures hearken us back to the well of salvation. There needs to be a source of joy and that source of peace and that source that is a never-ending supply from God. You see, a pool is man-made, but God calls us to the original source that never ceasing, that never wavering, that never going down and diminish of the flow of the power of God. It calls us to a place that it is that well that springeth forth in life. That's what the source of salvation is. You see that there was a place when Jesus was talking to a woman, began to have a conversation with her in John chapter 4 and verse 13, and Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give unto him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. We can read in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6, and he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. You see, you can try to put this gospel message within the parameters of your own life and try to make it to where you can consume it on your terms. But you see, God has ordained us in life to be a part of something that is greater than what we can even fathom in our life. We are to tap into those wells of water that spring forth freely at flow in our life. You can form the own cistern, the own vessel of your own life and say, this is how I want to observe God. This is how I think church should be. And you try to put parameters around it. But God comes back and hearkens us back to a scripture when Israel tried to do the very same thing. They tried to do things their way. They tried to burn incense unto gods that was not their gods. They tried to worship the work of their own hands. And, and God stepped in and says, I will utter judgment against them. You, as an individual, you cannot fulfill your own dreams. You cannot fulfill what God wants to do in your life on your own. You have to keep coming back to the well of salvation. You have to be coming back where the strength truly lies. You can't just get a little splash and say, well, I'm wet. I've got a little dampness on my clothes. Wasn't church good tonight? You see, that's not what it is. That, that is not getting you anywhere in the kingdom of God. You can't just get a little bit of splash over from somebody else and be content. You see, there's a difference when you, as a young child, you say, well, I'm a mom and daddy, I'm going to go play in the pool. Playing in the pool does not mean you sit there on the edge of the pool and you swing your feet and you splash it a little bit. As a kid, if I didn't get completely soaked from head to toe, that means I was not playing in the pool. I was just dipping my toes in the water. 
I was just getting a little wet. I was just getting a little, little dampness on my clothing. Don't settle for coming to church just getting a little, just a little, oh, is the water cool or is it hot? Oh, praise God. My hand's holy now. I'm, I'm good. I reminded of a time I was out in Mexico, Monterey, for a work meeting. Some men that I worked with, there were some bosses down there. They got done with their meeting early. I was up in the room working, finished mine, came down. They're sitting there by the edge of the pool. And I walk down there, and they're like, oh, man, this is a great time. Someone else is in there swimming. I'm wearing street clothes. All of a sudden, the guy runs up to me, grabs me, puts me in this bear hug. He was like a midget, so he's really short. And he grabs me, and he's standing on the edge. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm getting ready to go in the pool. What's in my pockets? That became most important for me. I was like, where's my cell phone? Where's my wallet? You see, when you get in the church, you've got to get rid of all those things. When you're going to stop playing church, and then you're going to start reaching down and just, oh, I'm not going to touch the pool. I'm not just going to. When you say, I'm getting in the church of the living God for good, guess what you do? You start saying, I'm done with this. I can't put that in there. That doesn't belong there. That doesn't belong there. I can't do this. Oh, I was like, oh, no, 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 there's more. Preacher preaches another message. I got to get rid of this. I can't do it. Oh, there's something else. And before you know, you've emptied yourself of the things that you thought you had to have. You can't live for God by holding things in your pocket. You can't live for God holding sin in your heart. You can't hold on to things just because in the world they're valuable. You can't put a price on eternal life. You can't put a price on joy. So why do it this morning? I encourage you, surrender all. All that I am and ever hope to be. I must do something for the King of Kings. Dear Lord, I pray every day that I stay totally devoted to you. But some sit here today, I'm trying to encourage. Some sit here today, this goes in this pocket this one always goes in this pocket. This is always in the right pocket. This is always in my jacket pocket. And you hold things that you have no business holding on to. God wants you to get in the pool and get head over heels in love with him. Stop holding on to the world. Guess what? The world displaces joy. The world displaces peace. The world displaces the ability for you to lay your head down on a pillow and go to sleep at night and having peace in your heart if you don't wake up that morning. The world displaces that. It steals that from you. You see, as I said, Israel tried to do it their way, but we must go to him. We must find our way in the hands of an almighty God. If you need more joy, you can go back to the source, which is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now the God of hope shall fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. If you don't have joy, you just need more Holy Ghost. If you don't have joy and you've never had it, you need an infilling of the Holy Ghost. If you don't have peace, you need more Holy Ghost. 
That's what it comes down to this morning. The lesson all culminates to this. you got to come to an old-fashioned altar. Repent of your sins. Whether you're a sinner or a saint, you got to get it all the same way. Joy is through the Holy Ghost. You can't get it any other way. You can't get it from somebody else. Say, Brother Goff, would you give me some of your joy? No, I can't. But you can get it while I'm living in it. It'll splash over on you. You can't say, well, I'm, don't get me wet. That's the worst thing you could ever do. You have people that go into a pool area, go around a water fight. Oh, don't, don't get my hair wet. I'm sorry. You're in the wrong place. If you come dressed for church down to the pool deck and you're afraid to get wet, you're in the wrong place. If you walk outside and one of your kids has a water hose and they have permission to have a water fight, and you're walking out there in your Sunday best, guess what? You're numero uno target number one because you are the driest person that just walked out of the house. If you don't have joy, guess what? You are numero uno number one. God's got your number this morning. You need to get some joy. It's not just happy about this service. Oh, I'm glad I came to church. No, you're going to go through a trial, and you may be in it right now, and you're floundering in your trial right now. You don't have joy. God, help me get above where I'm at. All of the persecution of the church, you know what the solution was? Being full of the Holy Ghost. Don't lose the faith. Having joy in your situation. But some of you, I can describe you in Scripture right now. Scripture, Psalm 6 and 6. Brother Josh, put it on the wall. Psalm 6 and 6. This describes your situation right now. You can read the words for yourself. I am weary with my groanings. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with tears. God has an answer for you this morning. Psalms 22, verses 14 and 15. God has an answer for you this morning. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the, into the dust of death. I'm here to tell you, you may feel like it this morning, but you're at the place where the water is poured out. When you have infinite supply of water, guess what? You don't care who it splashes over on. You don't care who gets splashed on it. You don't know, you don't care who gets a little bit on them. You're saying, give me that bucket. And you splash it around and say, listen, we have infinite supply of joy in the house this morning. If you're dry and thirsty, I'm here to tell you, God wants to take you somewhere and give you back joy in your life. Here's the answer. Psalms 43 and verse 4. Then will I go into the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. God is here to tell you today, this morning, he is the source of joy for you today. You can't do it without him. You can't do it on your own. Here's the problem that we have. We get so used to having infinite sources of water that we don't have to walk to a well. We went to our house and turned on a spigot. The illustration of Scripture is using something that was their life. They had to go to a well. They had to find a source of water. 
Here in this life, as we live in this day and age, water is at infinite supply. You can go to probably three or four bathrooms in this building alone and get a source of water. Go out to a spigot outside and get a source of water. You can go home to all of the places that you get water from in your own house. It just, turn it on and let it run. We don't understand the magnitude of going to a well. But church is that well. God is that well. I'm encouraging you each and every one. In Isaiah, as we read in our text, if the musicians would come, in Isaiah chapter 12 of our text in verse 2, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. You miss something if you just read through this really quick. The original language says, and with joy. And it is meaning because of, verse 2, because God is my salvation, I have trusted in him and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah because he is my strength, because he is my strong, my song. He has become my salvation. Because of that, I can now draw water out of the wells of salvation because I let God do something with my life. God is that ever overflowing fountain around us. God has broken the, the vessels that tried to contain him and say, you can't do this on your own. You can't draw from within and restore and bring strength and feel his presence. But you have to lean on the everlasting arms. Here's the beautiful thing. The spirit has been poured out. We talked about it in our text, read about it through scripture. But since that time, in the New Testament, the New Testament church was stood up and was given the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And it reached down and it touches and it takes away every need in our life because it doesn't always just make them all disappear and they're all fixed because you get the Holy Ghost. What it does is it changes our perspective on our problem. That's where the needs get taken away. And God uses those trials of your life to grow you. Because the devil would like nothing more than to destroy you and to where you have no joy, no confidence, no confidence. Isaiah chapter 44, as we stand this morning, Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3 says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 4 and 15. We are to respond like the woman at the well talking to Jesus. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. You see, you have to have a hunger and a desire for the things of God. If your life is lacking joy, 
God would love to give it to you this morning. Reminded of a song, says, and there was this thirsty woman. She was drawing from the well. You see, her life was ruined and wasted, and her soul was bound for hell. Oh, but then she met the master, and he told her of her sin. Then he said, child, if you'll drink this water, you'll never thirst again. And the call this morning is there is a river, and it flows from deep within. There is a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to this water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. I invite you this morning to find you a place to pray. If you're desperate enough, if you're hungry enough, God will meet you where you're at and reach down and touch your heart this morning. Can we lift our hearts and hands, bring them down to Him, presenting our need unto Him this morning. I believe that God is looking for some hearts that's had enough of no joy, not enough of not feeling what they wish they could feel every day. God wants to make a difference in your life this morning. I implore you, sir and ma'am, find you a place. Let God feel that heart of yours, that empty vessel. That's the thing we have to keep going back to him. Oh, from the river of life, he wants to touch us today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift your hearts unto him.